Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. Welcome into another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Editor-in-Chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney. Once again, hanging out with our Deputy Editor, John Dixon. John, Thursday, April 30th. How are you holding up today? I'm doing all right. I haven't seen my grandkids for about six weeks. I can't find a pair of clippers to cut my hair. Mm. So those are problems. But the biggest one is this morning when I got out of the shower, I looked in the mirror and I'm looking more and more like Mel Kuyper. It's very, (laughs) very disturbing. I had uh, my mom the other day, and I'll share this with the listeners who texted my sister. And it was a screenshot because, of course, we make fun of our parents. And my sister told me, Mom thinks Mel Kuyper looks like Squidward from SpongeBob. And (laughs) I apologize to Mel Kuyper because that's rude, but... He right, is, now you've made it worse. <laughs> is dead on. Squidward yeah. from SpongeBob. Yeah. Yes, that's very good. <laughs> so Mel Kuyper season is officially over. So yep. we've now transitioned from Mel Kuyper season to player incidents off the field season. And we got one in Kansas City in Bashad Breland, who's facing multiple charges in South Carolina stemming from looks like marijuana possession. It looks like alcohol in the car. It got into an altercation. It seems like, again, this is all speculative with a cop who was trying to arrest him and Breland did some resisting arrest. When this came down, John, besides being aggravated that we were going to have to look at comments on Arrowhead Pride, what was your reaction to this? Well, this kind of thing is always terrifying and disappointing And it's going to be part of the chief's narrative for way too long. This is just, this is just a terrible thing to have to deal with as fans, as, as people covering the team. It's just this thing that won't go away for a while. And that's terrible. It's disappointing. It's awful. I, you know, why, why, you know, (laughs) right. You ask questions of why, and and Breland had some tweets where he was sort of denying it yesterday that they've been Mm -hmm. since deleted probably by the advice of his attorneys. His attorneys later in the afternoon released a statement, our firm represents Bashad Breland and misdemeanor charges currently pending in South Carolina. They look forward to reviewing evidence. They go and say that there's questions as to what exactly happened. Apparently, there's there's cameras. I'm actually surprised TMZ Sports hasn't come out with that yet. We may see that happening as as early as Thursday afternoon. But essentially, what the attorneys say is Bashad Breland is innocent until proven guilty. I think we've learned in Kansas City that that is certainly the case over the past year or so. That Absolutely. Maybe we yeah. should let the process play out. But Brett Veach did appear on Pro Football Talk with Mike Florio and Florio asked him about where the Chiefs stand when it comes to Bashad Breland. 
Oh, yeah. So we were made aware of the situation uh, yesterday. And, um, you know, we're certainly um, uh, um, going to defer to the league and, and, you know, the local authorities down there. And um, we'll do what we always do. We'll, we'll kind of look at all the information and, and have great communication and dialogue, uh, dialogue with the league and, and kind of let the situation work itself out. 19 seconds of an expected non-answer from Brett Feach, which is par for the course. I, I don't think even someone as a fan or someone as a reporter really expects him to say much there a day after this information comes out. I think what was most interesting, though, to me yesterday, John, as we sort of veer this back to the football of it, Breland was already facing a four-game suspension for a previous incident. It looks like it was a substance abuse policy, probably stemming from marijuana, which is ever-changing as, as we go through the new CBA. It's, it's supposedly supposed to be a little bit more lax as far as penalties moving into what will be the new CBA. But I bring that up because that means the Chiefs probably knew about this coming, meaning they knew even when mm-hmm. they signed Breland to that one-year mm-hmm. deal for $4.5 million, that he was likely going to be suspended for the beginning of the season. Sam Melliger, the Kansas City Star, tweeted out yesterday that folks knew as they were visiting with Breland and talking to his agents and such that this suspension was coming. So I think that immediately makes you start to focus on, well, what were the Chiefs doing at the cornerback position leading into what we learned yesterday? Right. And, you know, Garofalo's tweet made the same point that teams, that he used the plural, uh, teams knew about this uh, prior to the draft and maybe even before the beginning of free agency. And so that explains why there wasn't much market for Breland outside of Kansas City and explains why they got him at a what I thought was an extremely inexpensive contract, given that he had been talking about going after a multi-year deal for a substantial amount of money. But you have to wonder how that contract is written and whether they'll have an opportunity to void it and, and get out of their obligations with him if something happens before the season. But, but that's at this point just speculative. I think if the Chiefs were going to release Breland, it, it probably would have happened, I think, on Wednesday. I, I think he's here. And what I, what I this is my opinion, I, I think there's a, a non-zero percent chance he's going to miss games. I mean, I, I think we're looking right. probably with these two stacked incidents, two minimum, maybe as many as six. I, I think that is being a little bit more liberal. Conservative will tell you maybe he gets three or four and, and they appeal that down to two. So I just look at what the Chiefs have here. And if you just look at the snap counts from last year, that translates to a problem. Traverius Ward led cornerbacks with 1,048 snaps. Bashad Breland was next when it came to cornerbacks at 912. Then you had Kendall Fuller at 498, and he was next on the list, even though he missed, what, five games last year. Mm -hmm. And then you had Mo Claiborne and Rashad Fenton, who will be returning with 165. That is a lot of snaps to make up as you look toward the Chiefs' depth chart at at the cornerback position. And so you start to wonder, well, do they feel comfortable about it? And then you dive back into Chiefs' Twitter with everybody arguing about whether or not they should have taken Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Why didn't they take (laughs) a cornerback at that position? What this made me think about is some of these, what we had thought to be role-player signings in – Alex Brown last year, and Antonio Hamilton this year. And when this type of thing happens, you start to backtrack and say, let's go back into the sound a little bit. And I had been on the pre-draft conference call with Brett Veach, and I asked him about 
the free agent signings of the offseason. Listen to what he said about Antonio Hamilton and Alex Brown. You know, Hamilton is an interesting guy because he was a guy that we, um, when we, every year at the, at the cut down day, we certainly do a great job. Uh, you know, Tim Terry, Mike Berganzi um, do a great job of really identifying young guys that we think are developmental talent guys. And um, at the trade cut down day last year, it's funny, um, we identified Alex Brown and Antonio Hamilton as two guys that we think we'd like to add, if it's not to our active roster, to our practice squad. Um, Hamilton ended up making the team. Alex Brown, we were able to get in the practice squad, and Alex, you know, did a good job for us and was active, um, you know, late in the season for our Super Bowl run. So Antonio was the guy that we actually had the Giants. You know, he was on the bubble, and you know, he made the team. But we monitored him um, throughout the season in case they had a, a roster crunch where they had to cut him. They never did, um, but we certainly kept that in our back pocket for free agency. So, um, you know, we. Um, when the, the window for negotiation opened up, you know, we thought this would be, you know, if we liked him back then and we wanted to add him back then, we may be able to do it. It may make sense for him and us. So we're excited about him. Um, can never have enough uh, depth and, and, you know, certainly losing Kendall Fuller, um, bringing Brashad back and, and, and having Ward and Fenton. And now Hamilton gives us four corners that, you know, we think can, can you know, help us on the field. But Alex has done a great job on special teams. And Antonio, as you know, is a good special teams player. So that really went all the way back to last year at the cutdown day. Now stay with me, Chiefs fans here. Brett Feach is usually a straight shooter. You hear him listing mm. those cornerbacks yeah. off. It's Breland, it's Ward, it's Fenton, and it's Hamilton. Right. And I go back to now training camp last year with Steve Spagnuolo. Spagnuolo was high on, on Fenton as a slot cornerback. Right. That Kendall Fuller role. Mm-hmm. I think that your starting cornerbacks for week one are Antonio Hamilton and Traverius Ward. Depending on what happens if we see a training camp, you know, we may see some of these young corners right. step up. Right. Right. And so that is where I think we're at. I haven't seen that out there yet where, where that has been, I guess, figured out where you say, okay, the rookies in Sneed and Keys could be in the mix, but the Chiefs really like what they, they saw in Hamilton. And I go back to that last game last year with the New York Giants. Hamilton hadn't started since week one of the season. The Giants were out of it. They probably were seeing what they had. He's able to start week 17, has 100% of the snaps. And if you watch that game, four passes defensed in one game is a a big number. Yeah. And I get it. And what's up to my guy, Ethan, with the sample size, because I know he'll say that one game. (laughs) But that's a really, really good effort against an Eagles team who's playing to win. And so... I think the Chiefs might have saw that. They probably had a good write-up of this guy. They probably knew about Breland being absent for X amount of games to begin the year, whether that's two or six or more. We'll see. And they said, all right, we can manage with Hamilton. The, the quarterback playing Kansas City hasn't really been in the upper echelon of the league. And, John, they're coming off a Super Bowl victory. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where they're at. Well, I think that um, uh, that the defense, the defense is designed specifically to get by with mid-level cornerbacks right, right. now. That might have, might not have been the way they envisioned it to begin with, but when you have Matthew and Thornhill back there, you right. have that luxury to not have to get a top-tier cornerback. Uh, you know, I I was on this train over a year ago uh, when I wrote that piece about the Chiefs might be done getting help at cornerback uh, in the middle of last summer. Right. And people thought I was nuts. Maybe I was nuts. 
but it turned out that that's pretty much what they did. They have not made big moves at cornerback, and that worked right. uh, in 2019, and there's no reason to think it couldn't work again. That doesn't mean that the Chiefs should not get better cornerbacks. It obviously doesn't mean that, but it, it, it does mean that they have that option available to them, and that and they can weather this kind of a problem more easily. John, you could be nuts and right. I, I happen to think that you're both, and so that's a good thing that we have right here. <laughs> I, I look at Ron Kopp's article from yesterday, and he noted mm, that yeah. Fenton only has 41 snaps as, as an outside cornerback, so I think you're correct. I think they look toward the safeties. Mm-hmm. Matthew and Thornhill are two of the better safeties in the league, maybe the best tandem, you would say. I'd, I'd go with that, yeah. In the mm-hmm. league. And then you have playoff superstar, playoff hero, Daniel Sorensen. Mm-hmm. And so you may get three safety looks where you, you see Matthew be in that hunter role in the box a little bit more, and, and we'll see what they end up doing. But they have a lot of options here. And two, in a, in a hypothetical, as you said, training camp, you can work out all these cornerbacks and see what you have there. I think if they got on the field tomorrow, you'd be looking at in those three cornerback packages. It would be Fenton to me as a slot guy, maybe Matthew mixing in there. And then you have Hamilton and Ward as your outside CBs. Again, a lot of time for the Chiefs to figure this out. We'll see what happens with Breland. There is the old outside chance that maybe the suspension is a game. And, but I, I think what you see with this is in a camp, Breland is a starter. He'll play toward the beginning of camp. And then like what we saw with Demetrius Harris, he'll be phased out as it goes along and the Chiefs right. prepare. Right. They'll give for, him some work to get him get, right. knock off the rust and then let some other guys get in there and play because they'll be playing at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Right. That's our breakdown on Bashad Breland. Coming up next, we go back to the draft a little bit. I was able to talk with Mississippi State beat writer Tyler Horka. He covered Willie Gay Jr. for two years. Does a great job explaining what the Chiefs got in this guy. We go through some of those problems you heard on the NFL Draft broadcast. A really good interview. That's coming up next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, and I'd like to welcome on now the Mississippi State Beat Writer for the Clarion Ledger, Tyler Horka. Tyler, how are you today, man? I'm pretty good, Pete. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And the reason I asked you to come onto the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network should be obvious to, to everyone out there. Willie Gay Jr. became the Chiefs' second-round pick, the number 63 pick overall. And I think with my first question, I want to cast a wide net for you. 
in your two years covering gay, what did you think of the player, the person, so on and so forth? Well, the first thing you'll notice about Willie Gay is that he just loves the game of football. He's out there. Uh, he's one of the first guys to get there. It's cliche. He's one of the last to leave in the weight room. I mean, you could get, you guys could probably see it just by looking at pictures, looking at video from the pick the other night. I mean, the, the guy is uh, what six one and probably pushing two hundred and fifty pounds. He's he's one of the strongest guys in the weight room. That showed up at the NFL Combine too. I think he was a uh, top five for bench press reps uh, for the linebacker position. And even with all that size, I mean, he's incredibly fast. I think Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson was the only guy to run a faster 40 than Gay at the Combine. So just looking at him as the football player, he's just an athletic freak. He's, he's quite the specimen. As a, as a person, I'll go back to what I mentioned uh, first of all. He's, he just loves football, and that goes back to his days. This is a guy that uh, was born and raised in Starkville, Mississippi. There's a town of 20,000 people. Mississippi State football is pretty much all those people know. So. He grew up a uh, Mississippi State Bulldog fan, obviously played three years for the program, and uh, football runs pretty deep in his blood. Yeah, I want to go through some of the numbers on him. 6'1", 243 pounds, 32 and, and 5 eighth inch arms, 4.440 yard for a linebacker. That, that's incredible. 39 vertical, 11.4 broad jump. So just a incredible athlete, it, it seems. Now, I think the thing that comes up with Willie quite a bit when you first start talking about him is some of the troubles that he went through. And there was the academic scandal. There was the altercation with the quarterback. What was your understanding of that? And, and as you watched him, how did he handle that situation in your eyes? Well, I guess we'll start with the academic stuff because that's what came out right before the season. Uh, he was supposed to be a starter last year. That was supposed to be his year. He sat behind some guys the first two years. If you remember in 2018, Mississippi State had a really good defense, three first-round draft picks that year. He kind of sat behind some of those guys when he was waiting for his junior year, and then that comes out. Uh, the academic thing is he was one of 10 guys who uh, basically let a tutor. And, and, you know, all of these guys across the country, they have tutors who work really closely with them. He let his tutor work a little too closely from what I understand, the, the tutor took an online test of his and also completed some of his online assignments. Uh, wow. It was a general chemistry course. And obviously, when you're a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs, you're not taking any general chemistry courses. <laughs> That's so, true. I, I mean, it, it's one of those things where you'll hear people say, you know, it, it's college and college kids are always looking for the upper hand. They're looking for a way to make their life as a student easier, especially when you're a college football player. Is it something that he should have done? Absolutely not. It's not something anybody should do. But it happened. He paid the price. He set out eight games of that 13-game season. But in those five that he played, you ask how he handled that situation? I mean, this is the first rep that he had. His very first play from scrimmage against Kentucky was a 52-yard interception return for a touchdown. He was waiting three weeks. He doesn't get the play until the third week of September, and that's what he does the first time he's on the field. So and when he wasn't on the field, you ask any of his teammates, this is a guy who didn't sit in the back, you know, and just kind of watch the games, you know, how they do sit on the bench and just kind of not converse with anybody. He was up on the sidelines. He was the first one defensive player saw when they came off the field. And he said, you know, they were, he was kind of coaching those guys. He said, that, you know, you could have took a better angle here or you could have dropped back here and you might have made a play. And that goes back to what I said at the very beginning. He loves football. And uh, even though he couldn't play as much football as he wanted to last year, he was still as involved as anybody out there. 
I'm sure we can get into the altercation thing as well, and, and I am curious about that. But just to follow up on, on that, the anecdote that we got from the chief general manager, Brett Veach, is that during this suspension, he was unblockable in practice. Gay himself compared it to he put in his mind, even though he wasn't going to play on Saturday, that he was about to play Alabama. And so I was just wondering your insight on that. Yeah, and I don't know if I have the uh, exact same anecdote as him, but I'll never forget sitting in one of uh, Joe Moorhead's press conferences, and I can't remember what week it was. It might have been the Alabama week, and uh, Joe Moorhead was known for having very long opening statements to every single one of his press conferences, and he would list off student-athletes of the week and uh, you know, offensive player of the week, defensive player, special teams, yada, yada. And I, I remember him saying, the uh, scout team player of the week this week is uh, Willie Gay. And everyone was like, wait. And then they remembered, oh, yeah, he can't play. So he's taking all of his practice reps on scout team. And if you want a 6'1", 245-pound guy going against your starters, that's exactly what you want. You know, this, was, uh, right. this is exactly what Alabama was going to see on, on Saturday. And LSU and all these good teams that he did get to play last year he basically represented those teams against Mississippi State starters on offense. So it was, uh, you know, and that's another thing. He could have taken the suspension and said, you know, I'm just going to kind of, right. I'm going to phase out. And, uh, you know, I am going to be a draft pick next, next year no matter what. And uh, I think what he did on the football field and what he did in practices ensured that he was picked on the second day by a team as like the defending Super Bowl champions instead of, you know, if I – he, if he didn't do anything, he could have slipped onto that third day, even in the later rounds. But um, that just speaks to who he is. He uh, he got the job done, even when it seemed like he didn't have to. Were you surprised he was still there at sixty three? I always said that he's uh, he's got first round talent, but uh, we've talked about some of this off the field stuff, right. and that's that's kind of the stuff that will uh, will make you fall in the draft. So was I surprised? No. Would I have been surprised if he went earlier? No, you know, that's just the kind of guy he is. I do want to just get into that other incident before more about Gay on the field. What can you tell us about the altercation with the quarterback? Yeah, I've actually spoken to uh, a few players who have since moved on from the program and, and they were uh, willing to be a little more open about what happened. And uh, basically, Willie uh, went and sacked Garrett Schrader, who's a true freshman quarterback, um, in a practice. And I mean, you'd have to be there. I was not there. You'd have right. to be there to know how hard the sack was or did the hit come a little late. You know, all of that stuff is subjective, even if you were there. But uh, he got to the quarterback, and obviously Garrett Schrader, the quarterback, you know, didn't like the hit, and he got up and had a few choice words. And from what I understand, uh, those words went a little too far, and uh, a scrum ensued. And when you're in the middle of a scrum, you know, it, it's hard to decipher who started the actual physical altercation. but I mean, at the end of the day, yes, Willie did, uh, you know, strike Garrett Schrader in the face and it did break Garrett Schrader's orbital bone, which, I mean, at that point, you have to realize the strike is pretty hard. But like I said, who knows what else happened in that scrum? And I think the main thing you take away from all of that is Joe Moorhead did not issue any outward suspensions. He right. did not publicly reprimand anybody. Everything was handled internally. And then a week later, Willie Gay is playing against Louisville in the Music City Bowl, and he winds up with 11 tackles, which was more than anybody else in the game on either side. So it's kind of a thing that, you know, was water under the bridge pretty quickly. And, you know, a lot of people say that's the kind of stuff that happens in practices. It's really unfortunate that 
it got to the extent that it did, but like I said, right. water under the bridge situation. The Chiefs practice in St. Joseph every year and something you could count on every single year is when they first put the pads on, you're going to have two or three fights. And it seems yep. like that that incident in particular would be filed under such, such a category. More on Gay uh, on the field. There is some questions about whether his, he could be a, a three-down linebacker in the NFL. How do you feel about that? Yeah, he's, he's got his strengths and he's got his weaknesses. Uh, I always say that he's really good sideline to sideline player. If you need to make a play on the edge. I mean, he's the guy that's fast enough to get there and strong enough to, you know, make a leg tackle if he needs to and be the sort of last line of defense on the edges. But he'll also miss guys out there. And when he misses guys, it's probably because he's not uh, instinctive enough. He, he might, you know, take a little time to get going. Once he does get going, I don't want to be the one that's, you know, in his way, but he's a little in, not, not instinctive enough at times. And, and sometimes he does take the wrong angle, but okay. that's stuff that, that can be coached. And obviously uh, Kansas City has a pretty good coaching staff. Yeah, I think he can be a three down linebacker if he gets some of those things down. And obviously, you know, pass coverage is going to be huge as well. There were some times where he let some guys go, but you know, that, that's coachable stuff. Kansas City got a pretty good athlete at the linebacker position for sure. Yeah, you mentioned that interception on his, you said, first play back. I think that's a big question for Kansas City Chiefs fans right now is how is he in coverage? Because the Chiefs have been in need of this weak side linebacker for a long time now. Is he the best, you know, true cover guy at the linebacker position? Probably not. But can he step in passing lanes and make plays that need to be made? Absolutely. And that Kentucky interception return for a touchdown was one of them. And I think he had upward of five uh, interceptions in his career. You have to check me on that. But he's yeah. not the worst cover guy at the linebacker position for sure. He can, you know, if, if someone needs to be locked down, uh, Willie Gay's not the last guy I'm looking to to uh, get that done. Seems like because of the, of the guy he is, we did get an opportunity to talk to him. He, he seemed pretty enthusiastic just about the game of football. So no problem. It, it seems like playing special teams. Anything you want to note of him in, in that regard? Oh, he played special teams. And that was something that Mississippi State that they kind of took pride in. I go back to that 2018 year that I talked about. You had Jonathan Abram, who's now safety for the Oakland Raiders, yep. playing special teams. Yeah, Willie Gay was pretty much out there every single kickoff. Uh, I think he even played on the punt team. Uh, yeah, he, he's a guy that you'll probably see out there often on special teams. Good to know. You mentioned the Kentucky game, and so I'm going to mark that one down. Are there any other games and I know he didn't have a ton toward the end of his career there but are there any other games that fans should go back and watch absolutely watch the uh, the Music City Bowl I know Mississippi State lost 38-28 uh, to Louisville but it definitely wasn't because of Willie Gay like mm -hmm. I said he had 11 tackles in that game I, I think I go back to Alabama in the 2018 season uh, Alabama wins 24 to zero, but again, that's, uh, I mean, that was actually a pretty good score to hold Alabama to that year. If you remember, uh, they were pretty good on offense that right. season Yes, and, and every season lately, but, uh, Willie Gay was really good, uh, in that game as well. Uh, I, I would look to any game in the 2018 season, really, that would have been his sophomore year. He played in every single game off the bench and, uh, but, but last year for sure, it's the Kentucky and the Louisville game. Man, you feel for the kid, and don't get me wrong, he's about to become a multimillionaire, so not, not too badly, but it, it sounds like everything was building toward this last season, and things just went awry off the field, and he wasn't able to 
to have that full year. And, and that's, that's tough. You hope that he learned his lesson and, and puts those pieces together in the NFL. Last question for me on, on Willie Gay. If you had one word, if you could think of one word to describe his game, what would that be? Uh, I'd say motor. He's got a motor like nobody else. I keep talking about that 2018 season. You look at all of those defenders, Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, you know, those are both NFL guys right now. Uh, He probably had the highest motor out of any of them. Maybe John Abram might give him a run for his money, but once he's on the field, uh, he's not going to stop until the play's made. And I've seen it over and over again. And, you know, for all of these off the field things that we've talked about, he's pretty good about keeping himself composed when he's on the field. Uh, Funny enough, though, in that Kentucky game, he actually got ejected uh, for two personal foul penalties. But as I wrote after he was drafted, uh, it's it's because of his motor. That's why he got kicked out. The first one was he returned the interception. He took his helmet off in the end zone and and blew a kiss to the student section because that's (laughs) the end zone that they were sitting in, you know, took his helmet off and kind of said, I'm back. Right. You know, here I am. And then the second one was uh, Chauncey Rivers, who uh, I'm surprised didn't get drafted, but he signed an un- uh, undrafted free agent deal. He got a big sack on the uh, Kentucky quarterback. And Willie was, you know, celebrating the play more than anybody else. And that didn't warrant the flag. But uh, a Kentucky player came in and gave him a little shove and said, hey, you're going to celebrate like that. And, and then uh, a little scrum ensued. So yeah, he's got such a high motor, and I say that, you know, he keeps himself composed. That's the one time that I kind of saw it slip a little bit. And, I mean, that was his first game of the season, and he had already been such a big factor in it. So I don't think it's any issue that uh, – I don't think he's going to have any, frankly, off-the-field issues, and I certainly don't think he's going to have any on-the-field issues. Well, we can cross everything off. As you nicely alluded to, there's, there's no chemistry test in the NFL. I don't think he's going to get close to punching Patrick Mahomes. And so, and again, I think Andy Reid and Tyron Matthew and guys like Frank Clark can, can keep him in check. I'm sure he's going to look up to a guy like Chris Jones, who also came Absolutely. Uh, from, from that system. All right. Well, Tyler, always good to have someone that was able to follow the player on the beat. You had covered uh, Willie Gay for two years. Great stuff from you today. I want to plug your Twitter, TB Horka. Thank you. People want to follow you for your, your Mississippi state coverage. Anything else that you'd like to plug before we, we let you go here? No, I just wish uh, you and all the, the listeners out there to uh, stay healthy and uh, for them and their families to be safe during these times. I know we want to get back to sports as soon as possible, but that's only going to happen if we all stay healthy. So uh, be well and and take care of yourselves. Thank you, Tyler. I think all of us are looking forward to seeing Willie Gay Jr. on the field for the Chiefs this fall. Coming up after the break, we'll ask Derek Johnson about the comparison to Willie Gay Jr. as part of the Kansas City Draft Guide. Plus, it's Jersey Week at SB Nation. So John Dixon and I have a conversation and a debate about the best Chiefs uniform combinations. That's next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Pete Sweeney with Arrowhead Pride here, and it's an honor to be joined by Chiefs legend Derek Johnson. Now, Derek, we're going to get into one of the players the Chiefs have drafted this weekend, but before we do, how are you? How have you been holding up in the quarantine? We, we did see your, your TikTok the other day with Jamal. I thought, <laughs> I thought you looked better for what it's worth, but how have you been handling the quarantine? 
I've been doing good. Just been uh, uh, just accepting it. Uh, uh, just just enjoying the process. It's a it's a different, strange time now nowadays. But uh, uh, it, it it it's giving me more time with the kiddos at home and uh, and, and with the wifey. And uh, it's it's going pretty good right now. Hopefully, it can we can end at some point. But until the end, we'll we'll still be having some fun. Yeah, I think we're all welcoming the distraction of the NFL draft. And speaking of that. We put out a draft guide at Arrowhead Pride called the Casey Draft Guide every year. Of all the linebackers, there was one who we had a player comp that was Derek Johnson, and the Chiefs go and take him with the 63rd overall pick, Mississippi State's Willie Gay Jr. When you hear that comparison, do you agree with it? What are your feelings about it? Well, when, whenever you can uh, have a linebacker that can run a 4-4 and can run like Willie Gay, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's always a good thing uh, when it comes to linebackers having success in the league. And I was a guy, uh, the comparison comes from being an athletic linebacker, and I was that athletic linebacker uh, for the Chiefs. And uh, for them to get him uh, early like they did, this is a – this this shows the uh, the amount of uh, respect and confidence they have in this young player. Even though the production is not crazy high in, in college, it's the potential. Because when he gets to the Chiefs, uh, if you could have a coach that can that can dive in and can see what you do best and can uh, just just develop your craft, man, uh, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. Now I want to ask you: This is draft weekend. Obviously, it's a big weekend for Willie Gay. If you could talk to him, speak to him directly, what would be some advice that you would share as he begins now? What will be his Kansas City Chiefs journey? Oh, man. Uh, as soon as you get get in, get to work. Get to work. I mean, uh, learn from the veterans. Uh, uh, be that guy that, that's always asking questions. Uh, be that guy that, that's working his tail off. Uh, uh, knowing that it's not going to be perfect. You're going to come in and there's going to be some things physically and mentally that's going to go wrong, but just accept everything and just get better because uh, this is a this is a this is a special time in your life uh, being a rookie and uh, just just take it all in, man. This is it doesn't matter where I always tell young guys it does not matter where you get picked up at. All it matters is when you get there, what you do when you get there, and uh, this is a this in a, in a few weeks or. I, couple months, I should say, uh, it's going to be a pivotal time for Willie Gay to, to dive in and uh, just just be that player that, that, get, that gets better each day in each game, and uh, hopefully he can do some great things uh, uh, for the Chiefs. You know, it's funny. I'm talking to you now. I remember covering you as a player, and you could hear that passion in being a mentor for some of these young guys. I remember we had discussed potentially you coming back. There was a chance maybe in the future you'd be interested in coaching where are you on that spectrum? Is there a desire to get back into the game? Yeah, there's a desire. That's, that, I think that's something will always be there. Um, um, right now, uh, I'm taking a couple years off, uh, be with my kiddos. I got five boys from <laughs> range from one years old to 12 years old. So <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty busy right now, but I tell you what, um, I'm always watching the game and trying to learn and evolve because this game is evolving every year. And this is a passing league, so – uh, the more you can get guys like Willie Gay, the, the, the hybrid kind of linebackers that can run kind of like safeties, uh, you, you, you give yourself a better chance to be on the field all three downs. That's always the key. That's another thing I want to tell uh, Willie Gay. You want to play all three downs, so you got to be a student of the game. John, as a longtime Chiefs fan, 
anything cooler than Derek Johnson talking. The guy's the guy to, is amazing. To the new linebacker. Yeah, the guy is amazing. Really Always loved DJ. Yeah, really awesome that in this draft and our Casey draft guide, the Chiefs end up taking the guy who has a comparison to one of the greatest Kansas City Chiefs of all time. And you heard right there Johnson giving uh, Gase some tips as to how to handle himself, how to become a, a three-down linebacker in this league. And as you listen to interviews with Gay, you could tell that that is for sure a goal of his. Want to move on now to Jersey Week. It is SB Nation's Jersey Week. I joked, and I'm going to pull the curtain back for our loyal Arrowhead Pride listeners. I joked to our boss yesterday. I said, you picked Jersey Week. The Chiefs have had the same jersey since 1966. What am I supposed to do here? So they've, they've mixed it up a little bit. John, I'm, I'm going to turn to you first. When it comes to the Chiefs and their jerseys, what's your favorite combo? I, I like the red over white the best, the, the classic look. I like the red on red, although I didn't expect that I would. When I first heard that they were going to do this, I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, I don't like change because I'm an old guy, and I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to like that. And I was really surprised by how much I did like it. But I don't like it well enough that I want them to use it for all their home games. I like where they have it right now that they, that they do it as a special occasion thing. Yeah, my favorite uniform combination for the Chiefs, I just think it looks incredible, is white on white with red socks. The uniform combo that they used in 2015, I believe it was, where Alex Smith and that Chiefs team somehow goes from 1-5 and five to 11-5, and five, and they went with what works. They needed a change around, and they wore <laughs> that the entire season, I, I believe, up until losing against the New England Patriots in the divisional round that a year. A lot of people like that, and they make a, a good point that it's a very clean look that you don't see very often in the NFL. Most teams do not use a white over white option. Part and, of the uh, Yeah, part of the reason, I was about to say, part of the reason that the Chiefs don't really go off of their what is a classic jersey like you don't see a yellow on yellow for that color rush is because of Lamar Hunt and the Hunt family they they try to keep things really traditional and I think that's I think that's cool because now you're seeing Tampa Bay Bucks new uniforms you're seeing Atlanta Falcons new uniforms I think there's something to being able to turn on the tape from 1969 and those Chiefs are wearing the same uniforms as the Patrick Mahomes Super Bowl winning team. And I, I just, there are some franchises that, that have that, that to be the case, like the Vikings come to mind. And I, I just think that that's something cool about that. Yeah, I, I do actually happen to, to like the Buccaneers' new uniforms, but at the same time, I have a deep appreciation for what the Chiefs have, have built. What, do you, what is wrong with you? Those Buck <laughs> uniforms are awful. Those are just awful. See, I, <laughs> I, I like them. I, I, for what it's worth, I do, I do like them. But I, I like tradition more. I also want to go through the red-on-red red record because I know fans can be very superstitious. Right. <laughs> really? So they, they first wore them in 2013. It actually got off to, to a nice 2-0 start. It was the Dallas Cowboys, you know, mm-hmm. 1-0. And then New England was that red-on-red Monday night football game, 41-14. Mm-hmm. And that was during the Royals' run. Kansas City was on fire. I think right. no one will ever forget that game. Then you had two losses to Denver, a win against Oakland, a loss against Oakland. I believe these were part of the color rush. 
Then you had a win against the Chargers, a win against the Bengals on Sunday night football, a loss against the Chargers. That was the Chargers going for two. And then last year, the Chiefs wore red on red against the Indianapolis Colts. They lose 19-13, and they say, we're done with these uniforms for the rest of the year. And now that they haven't lost a game leading into the Super Bowl, I wonder how often you see red on red. It is not a good omen for the Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) Well, fans are superstitious about that kind of thing. And honestly, that is one of the problems I have with white on white. I have some bad memories associated with those white on white uniforms some good ones too but to me it it recalls an era of chiefs football that was disappointing and so i i still prefer the the traditional home uniforms that's a nice and unfortunate segue to Alex Smith, disappointing Chiefs football. We will be seeing Alex Smith. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. We will be seeing Alex Smith on a ESPN documentary coming up on Friday night at 6.30 p.m. Everybody knows that brutal injury that Alex suffered, what, it's, it's two, two years ago now? And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Alex was on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt last night, and he was asked about why he made the decision. You'll hear, Scott, why he made the decision to go ahead and do a documentary, which is uncommon for Alex in the duration of his career. Why did you decide, Alex, you wanted to allow people inside? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty early on when I was in the hospital. And uh, at that point, I think once I things had settled down from a seriousness standpoint, and um, I kind of became aware of how unique this situation was. Um, at that point, the doctors had kind of, you know, our team doctor, Dr. West, had mentioned to me that if, if I wanted to, that this would be a great time to potentially think about that, that it is a unique circumstance. Um, nobody's really gone through this from a, a sports standpoint, a recovery standpoint. And for me, that's when I got in touch with, with Stefania Bell and, and E60. And, and first started the ball rolling of, of potentially documenting this. Again, that's 6.30 on Friday, Arrowhead time. You've had already Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill say that they will be watching this on Twitter. And of course, because Alex Smith is their friend, their former teammate, their colleague. And I think everyone believes this is incredible. I believe it's incredible. It almost feels like a must watch because you want to see what he's up to and really how realistic is the idea of him coming back. I, I also feel something else about this, and he signed this really big contract with the Redskins. For the Redskins to continue to pay him, he has to continue to, to work his way back. And I think that's right. the very real part of this. That being said, Alex, the man, and his wherewithal, and to go from almost needing to have your leg amputated to some of the drills you're starting to see him do. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to, to see this documentary. Maybe not as much as The Last Dance, which has taken over uh, America, but this at least gives you, like the draft, another thing, sports thing to look forward to, John? Right, I agree. And, you know, I've honestly been surprised on how the narrative on Alex has changed since he left the team. Uh, you know, fans were extremely polarized about Alex Smith during. He's more popular tenure. now yeah. than he was as a chief. Yeah, is that he's more popular now than he ever was. 
I was surprised how many people after the Super Bowl said, oh, Alex needs to get a ring. Right. You know, and, and by you know, the way, I, 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 sorry, I said I, that long before the Super Bowl and people Alex, thought I was crazy. <laughs> I know Alex. I was able to cover Alex. Alex does not want the Chiefs ring. He doesn't. Right. I, if right. He, what he wants to do is somehow get back and win it with the Redskins. And right. I understand fans and, and why they're saying that. And you can almost say that about most athletes. They, mm-hmm. don't, they don't want the Chiefs ring. I don't think Derek Johnson would want that ring. Right. You know what I mean? And he likes hearing Andy Reid say, hey, you were a huge part of building this. But these guys are competitors. They don't want participation trophies. And right. I, I, I am on, I'm in the camp that Alex belongs in, in the ring of honor. How do you feel on that? Um, I think I'd be okay with that because he certainly played a big role in building the team that won the first Super Bowl in 50 years. I consider uh, him to be the third best quarterback in franchise history. I'd go with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an arguable point. I mean, obviously you're going to get some argument on that, but, but you know, you can't, you really have to respect the guys, his toughness, you right. know, that he displayed that right away. I was all in on Alex Smith after just a couple of games because I saw that he was a leader and he was tough and he was going to do whatever he could do to win ball games. You can't ask for more than that from a quarterback. You know, was he limited? Sure. But he gave it his all every time. Just discussing how we all miss sports. I mean, you talk about one of the worst seasons in the history of sport for any sport. I just think that was 2012 in Kansas City. And Alex Mm -hmm. Smith was such an important part of pulling this franchise out of utter and complete and almost disgusting darkness into what was a winning football team in Kansas City who consistently Mm -hmm. made the playoffs. Kansas City Chiefs fans right now, now that it's 2020, there's seven years since Andy Reid's been here. You guys are spoiled. Teams don't make the playoffs every year. And I, I get it. They finally got the Super Bowl last year, but to have playoff football for nearly a decade now, Alex was a huge part of that. And to me, that's why I think he's a Ring of Honor member. That's why I think he's the third best quarterback in franchise history. I hope to see him play a, a game again. I, I, don't, I don't think it's likely. But again, I, I do have that hope. And I'm looking forward to this ESPN special 630 on Friday night. Last segment I want to hit before we say goodbye until Tuesday here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Something I'm calling my Best Chiefs thing I heard all week. We just got done with Scott Van Pelt, so a nice, <laughs> a nice segue for that. It's the best Chiefs thing I heard all week. Going to the Legarius Sneed interview on Cody and Gold from Wednesday. Is there something you do outside of football? Uh, play with my son, and I like to sing. Like to sing? Yes, sir. Well, give us a little bit of that. Can you sing for a minute for us? Uh, you caught me off guard. Now, I'll give you a little something. All right. It's been a long, <laughs> that was good. a long time coming, but I know the change's going to come. That's all I got for you right now. Hashtag Legarius to the voice. Forget about the need for Sneed. <laughs> I have the need to see him on American Idol. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you got to love it. You got to love a guy that will be, uh, is willing to do something like that in an interview with an NFL reporter. I mean, what's not to like about that? 
That is the sweet, smooth, sultry voice of Arrowhead Pride Deputy Editor John Dixon. My name's Pete Sweeney, the Arrowhead Pride Editor-in-Chief. We thank you for joining us on what is our second edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. We appreciate your comments. Please get at us on Twitter. He is at Arrowhead Phones. You can get me at PG Sweeney, of course, at Arrowhead Pride. Let us know what you think of the show. We take five-star reviews, too. We mentioned that. The laboratory are not the only guys who enjoy five-star reviews. We'll take that as well. Speaking of those guys, they have their season finale of the AP Draft Show that's coming at you 11 a.m. on Friday, so keep it live. Locked in with the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Tell a friend, subscribe, all of that. Have a good weekend. My name is Pete Sweeney. Thank you for joining us. The Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.